Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, tonight, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be in a couple places in Scripture tonight. We're going to be going back and forth from Revelation chapter 6 to Matthew 24. And, um, and you know, uh, I'm going to teach tonight, so bear with me as I try to teach. And I'm going to try to stay on point in teaching and not get off preaching and, and all that. But um, I'm going to try to stay in the comfortable zone of teaching because I want to get this in your spirit tonight. And, um, of course, we are living, I truly believe we are living in the last days. And I truly believe God could come back at any moment. And I believe that He could. And uh, we could be out of here before this church service is over. And, uh, and though I still have loved ones that are lost, that don't know Christ, uh, I'm here to tell you that if, if He chooses to do that, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be, I'd be all right with that. I'm going to beat all of y'all there. And uh, I'm going to fly fast and hard. And, uh, and so, but we know He's returning soon. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 6. We come now to the time of the study of God's Word that I want, that I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation 6. And um, Revelation 6 begins for us the future element of the book of Revelation. Now we get into the prophecy regarding the time of the end. And we're going to be learning so much as we go through chapter 6 uh, right on to the end of this great book. And there is, there is truth and application abundant in every verse. It is not just a mystical trip into the future. It's not just a fascinating look at something that does not have relevance for us now. It is very practical. And we're going to allow the Spirit of God to apply it as we go. And tonight, I want to speak to you from a couple of verses here in chapter 6 of Revelation because this is the first seal that is open um, on the subject. And I want to talk tonight about the coming world peace. The coming world peace. Now, before we really get into the chapter, uh, I do want to do some setting up tonight. I do think that I have to build a context for you so you understand uh, where we are in this study and in chapter 6 and where it is in the study. So I, I want to build a context tonight. So I'm going to read some references and give you some things tonight as we build this context. And then we're going to look at a couple of verses as we take a look at this. In verse 1, we read, And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. He went out conquering to conquer. Now, you will remember uh, that the scenes in chapter 4 and 5 are in heaven. And we see in the scenes in chapter 4, God is seated on his throne. And then as we come to chapter 5, God holds out his hand. And in his hand is a little scroll sealed with seven seals. And those seven seals basically were the, for the purpose of hiding what was in that scroll. It could not be broken without the manifesting that something had that someone had done that. It could not be read unless it was broken. It couldn't be broken legally except by the one who had the right to break that seal. And I told you that the little scroll was the title deed to the universe. And the only one who was worthy and able to open it was the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, as he is described in chapter 5 and verse 5. The scene then is God, and God is about to unleash judgment. He's about to unleash judgment. Around his throne is lightning and thunder, and in the midst... There is a glorious worship of God by the redeemed and the raptured church and by angels. And all in the midst of all this glorious worship, as God gets ready to act in judgment, and as all of these glorified beings celebrate His coming judgment, for it is, for it is right and just, and we will be uh, 
uh, and we will be ex- exaltation, the exaltation, the exaltation of Christ and the glory of the saints as they celebrate with God. God puts out his hand and in it the little scroll which symbolizes the title deed to the universe. It has to be taken back from the usurper Satan and all of his cronies. God hands to him the title deed of the universe. And he is taking it back from Satan and all of his minions. The lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah comes forth and takes the scroll. And he is worthy, he is able, and he has a right to inherit the universe. And he has the power to take it tonight. How many know he has the right to redeem the world and has redeemed the world? And on this time, we see in Revelation 6, he is taking the scroll and he's going to begin to break the seals. And these seals are judgments that are coming on the earth that will come as he redeems the earth back to him. And written in this scroll is a description of the judgments by which the Lord will take back the earth. It is sealed seven times, as often ancient documents were to keep it hidden until the rightful heir opens it. And the opening of its each seal will we'll see, we'll see a drama portrayed, the drama of the coming judgment as the wrath of God unfolds and as he takes back the universe. So when he takes this scroll and he begins to open these seals, Each seal will be a judgment. That judgment will be poured out, and as that judgment is poured out, it's part of him reclaiming the earth back to him, which he bought back through the blood of Jesus. Now the first seal is open, and we read here in chapter 6, and when that seal is open, a drama plays out. One of the four living creatures, you will remember them from chapter 4 and 5, says with a loud voice of thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. Here is the first seal. This, then, is the description of the first event, the first feature of the end when the Lord takes back the world. This first judgment is released and open here in chapter verses 1 and 2. You know, for many years, Christians have been taught that things in the world are headed to exorbitantly towards war. We all have been told that we are headed uh, for Armageddon, that we perhaps are headed for a nuclear holocaust. Maybe that's what Peter meant, had in mind, when he says the elements will melt with fervent heat. That everything in our society and our world is going to deteriorate and, and deteriorate and deteriorate until the Holocaust breaks loose. The world, we've been told, is going to fall into deeper and deeper chaos, confusion, and disaster, and death. I don't know how it can get much worse, but I'm here to tell you it's going to get worse. It is going to fall to deeper chaos. We all have heard the gloom and doom messages, the message of escalating war and crime, financial collapse, etc. And we know, and even the scripture says it, there will be wars, earthquakes, famines, and plagues that the Bible tells us. We look at the world around us and we see people concerned about the character of society, concerned about finance, concerned about food supply and food. Concerned about our fuel supply and concerned about our pollution and environment. We all have been told that we that we face in uh, we all been told that we face in these areas, the areas of social order and our money and our food and fuel and environment, we face a doomsday. We face insurmountable dilemmas that will drive the globe into an ultimate living hell. And we're on a slide to destruction. That's what we've been told. We have heard about the concern for all of these environmental things, all these uh, of energy, food supply, overpopulation of the world. We have been 
told and driven into us all of these concerns about our finance or systems, our world systems, our social order, and the nations of the world. And so, but is that really the scene? Is that really the scene? Is that really going to be the, the picture that we see? And the answer is yes, but ultimately yes, uh, but no temporarily. Actually, before the worst comes, before it will, it will come, there's going to be, actually, there's going to be a signs of improvement. And I believe we are headed, I do believe that we are headed for worldwide peace. And I do believe there'll be a season of prosperity, safety, and security. Before things get bad, we're going to get a little bit better. In fact, many world leaders are convinced of this. Many world leaders... And you can read, and many of you have listened, and I have recently, as I've done some research, read some articles uh, about the optimism that world leaders have, that there's going to be a world peace, that world leaders are convinced that the problems in our world are world problems that I had just mentioned about food and fuel and society and environment, that these problems are, are serious and are so compelling that they are driving the attention of nations away from the military field and all of the ingenuity that has been poured into space travel and has been poured into other areas uh, will now be poured and moved into uh, uh, the world society and economics and environment and all of these, these things that we are concerned about and that the world genius of man is going to pull us out of this dive. That is what world leaders are predicting and what they believe. That this is what's going to happen. The world, as you watch it today, is setting aside its arms. Now there are skirmishes here and there, and there will always be those. But the world is really laying aside its arms because it has a focus on what is deemed to be more serious, which is our social issues, food, fuel, environment. People are, are frightened that our future is threatened, and they're very concerned about the quality of life, and they're not so concerned about national borders anymore. And, and there are some places where that is still the issue, but most folks have come to the place and they've come to the part that the great powers of the world are moving away from separation to promote and to push unification. We have seen over the last 25 years the unification of Europe, something we perhaps thought we would never have seen uh, 30 or 40 years ago. We all assumed the Soviet Union would stay intact to the very end, that until it would be the king of the north that would come down and destroy and overpower Israel. We have watched Western and Eastern Europe come together and also in unification. And we are watching even now the pulling down of trade barriers. Um, they've talked about common currency. They've talked about eliminating all the trade barriers to facilitate a common economy so that the rich can help the poor become richer. And so all of these talks of world economics, world order, uh, opening borders, uh, opening trade, uh, creating a world where all these barriers that had once been there and the, the eliminating these trade barriers so that there can be a common economy throughout the world. That is what world leaders are talking about. That is what they're trying to bring the force. And part of the reason why our, our previous, our president, President Trump, has been criticized is because he has, not, he has not given in to the world order talks of globalism. And that is why he, is, he has pushed America first. And so he's received much criticism from that. They, we're living in a world, they're concerned about medicine, they're concerned about health, they're concerned about all those things and are driven by those things. And so they want to pull down any barriers. And so we even in our own nation, in the Western Hemisphere, where we live, uh, 
trade has been trade has been uh, bargained and has been different. Where our trade with Mexico and Canada uh, has also there's been some issues there. So that that and they're trying to improve that so the economics can flow back and forth so that we all can take advantage of the strengths and compensation uh, and compensate for each weakness. There's been tremendous effort going on in various think tanks of our world to come up with means by which the unification of the world can occur. That is what nations want. They want a unification of the world. They want a world government. They want a world currency, a world system. And you and I have heard for years about a one-world order, a one-world money system. Of course, Great Britain has now thrown a, a monkey wrench into the mix because now they have decided to leave in Brexit and to leave the European Union. And so that has brought many complications to uh, that desire for world order. But this is what nations are pushing for. Matter of fact, 15 years ago, a man by the name of Robert Mueller, uh, who had been called the philosopher of the United Nations and its prophet of hope, Mueller had, had served in the United Nations for 40 years until his death in 2010 and has performed uh, diplomatic missions all over the world. And he served as the assistant secretary general of the United Nations he is in charge of coordinating the work of 32 specialized agencies and world programs that are in existence today for the UN. He got to be one of the biggest, or one of the best informed men in all the world. And Mueller is, was convinced, and this is what he said, and I quote, there will be no third world war between the big powers, end quote. But instead, he says, we're headed for a new age a new world, a new genesis, a true global God-abiding political, moral, and spiritual renaissance to make this planet as long-lasting what it was always meant to be, the planet of God, end quote. Now, he claims to be a good, he claimed to be a good Catholic. His God, however, is not the personal God of the Bible, but the cosmic force uh, force who is pulling together the unification all over the globe. You see, people believe, you see, people believe that this is all we've got. Most of the world believe the planet is all we got. They believe the earth is all there is. And we have to understand that, that that is what the world believes and what's pulling for. They believe that we've got to hang on to this deal because uh, it is all there is. Those who are evolutionists think that we've got to preserve it. They worry about what, what, you, what to do uh, with it. And I thought to myself, as I was studying this, uh, all of their concern about the planet, if you think we've messed the earth up, wait till you see what Jesus does to it. <laughs> when he gets finished with it. As according to what scripture says. See, this is a disposable world, but they don't know that. This is a consumable planet, but they don't know that. It was designed to be consumed. It was designed to be disposed of, and it was designed to be used up. And when it's, when it's used up, the Lord himself will create a new heaven and a new earth. But these people don't believe that that is it. And the fear of losing this planet is sublimating the fear of having uh, having all the territory and taking all the territory they think that they might need. I mean, that is the world that we're living in. And all the attention and all the creative juices flowing to problem-solving our world are going to bring us to an age that man may think, think of an age of utopia, age of peace, age of prosperity. We've gotten a little taste of that uh, haven't we? And we have ended at the ending of the Cold War. And when the age comes and when the time of the world peace comes, the, earth war, the earth's war-weary inhabitants are going to greet the peace with ecstasy. 
They're going to be convinced that the utopia has arrived and is going to look as if all of our problems have been solved. And we all know that that's not the case. Finally, international peace. A certain degree of prosperity for everyone. We've watched as the iron bars of communism have crumbled. We've watched as the invincible communist powers have fallen unwillingly. Even We've even heard some communist leaders apologize for their past conduct. And so all the world is involved. All the world is in this. But we will also see religions that will fall into this. World religions will fall into this acceptance and this approval of world order and of this desire for a utopia and world peace. As long as I've been alive, I've heard world peace. Haven't you all? Haven't you all heard that we all need to push towards world peace? We need to push to, to world peace. And I'm here to tell you that people think the answer to our problems is this globalism. And I'm here to tell you it's not globalism, it's Jesus. The answer to our problems is Christ Jesus himself. The Pope recently said that we are coming to better days. People are talking as if the candle or the flame of hope has never burned brighter. Is there peace on the horizon? Will there really be worldwide peace? We will really miss Will we really miss a third world war and enter into an age of prosperity with the falling uh, trade barriers and, and, and facilities to move in and out of uh, places in the world will be accepted? Will there be such an economic flattening out that the rich will share with the poor and the wise with the foolish? And the answer is, for a short time, yes. The Bible does predict such a time. The Bible predicts that there's coming a world peace, and it will come. But listen, it will be a deceptive peace. There is a world peace that is coming, but it will be a deceptive peace. It will be a false sense of security. It will be a, the most subtle and the most deceptive trap that has ever been set because it'll catch the world in it, and they'll be caught, and in it, they'll be destroyed. The trap is being set even right now, psychologically, socially, politically, economically, and even religiously, and it is luring the world right in. International peace is the bait. It's the bait for the trap which the human race will be caught to feel the full and the final unleashing of God's wrath. We're headed, we are headed for peace. It's what everybody's talking about is world peace. But there is a world peace that's coming. There's a deception that is coming. There is a deception that is coming that will draw the whole world into it. And the whole world will be drawn into it, and it's going to be a trap that draws the world into it at which the human race will be caught up in, and the final unleashing of God's wrath will be poured out in the midst of it. It's a deceptive peace that is coming. May I do this and do well to remind ourselves that an optimistic confidence that peace was assured to characterize Europe precisely before World War II. I'm currently reading a book by William Manchester on the biography of Sir Winston Churchill. Sir Winston Churchill never did buy into Hitler's offer to sell peace. William Manchester's biography of Winston Churchill confronts us with the unpleasant, haunting reminders of Hitler, a man who came extremely close to being the Antichrist, yet deceived the world with his promise of peace. Hitler used peace as a tool to try to draw the world in. Listen to what Manchester wrote. He wrote this. He said, Thomas Jones who had been in and out of Whitehall for a quarter of a century, wrote in his diary, all sorts of people who have met Hitler are convinced that he's a factor for peace. He doesn't seek war, but friendship. Meeting the press after he had been closeted with Hitler for an hour, Lloyd, uh, 
Lloyd George said he regarded him as the greatest living German. A year later he wrote, I wish we had a man of his supremacy and quality at the head of the affairs of our country today. He was talking about Hitler. Nazis' goals were even applauded by the Anglican church men, a group of whom expressed and quoted this, boundless admiration for the moral and ethical side of the Nazi program. It's clear, it's, it's clear stand for religion and Christianity and its ethical uh, principles, end quote. That was a quote from uh, the Anglican clergyman uh, during the time of Hitler. Sir John Simon, His Majesty's Foreign Secretary in 1931 to 1935 saw in Hitler not arrogance, but rather a man retiring and bashful and unconcerned with affairs in the Western Europe. Later, he described Hitler to King George, quote, an, Aust- an Austrian Joan of Arc with a mustache. Arnold uh, Toybee, equally spellbound by the Reich Chancellor, declared that he was convinced of Hitler's sincerity and desiring peace in Europe and close friendships with England. Talk about being sucked in. Hitler sucked the world in through the talk of world peace. Churchill was never deceived by Hitler, but stood almost alone. The deception was practically universal. Almost every, everybody misread Hitler and they walked right into his false peace. And as they did, they were slaughtered. It's going to happen again, only it won't be Hitler. It will be the Antichrist this time. And everybody will think he wants peace and he'll be the next Joan of Arc, either with or without a mustache. I really don't know, but I really think that the political openness of Eastern Europe and the political openness of the world is more surely a move toward a false peace of the Antichrist than it is the true peace of Jesus Christ. Globalism, what's behind globalism is the setup for what is coming the days ahead. It is setting up so that the Antichrist can come on the scene and begin to push a world peace to the world. And just like in the days when the worlds were convinced by Hitler, if, if you think Hitler was a type of Antichrist, wait till the real Antichrist comes on the scene. He will be even more smooth-talking than Hitler ever thought about being. And all of this drive for peace has nothing to do with the Prince of Peace, but it has to do with a false delusion, a trap. The prophet said, for the wicked, for the wicked there is no what? There is no peace. But their passion for peace will lure them into a trap of the Antichrist as God uses, uh, God allows uh, that bait to be used to draw men in. And so Jesus warned about this. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 24 for just a moment. And uh, in Matthew 24, I want to draw your attention to verse 3. And uh, in Matthew 24. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately. And this is what they said. They said, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming at the end of the age? In other words, when will come the final end? When will come judgment on the world system of evil and darkness? When will come the beginning of a new and eternal age of light and righteousness? When is the end? That's their question. They ask with an eager and hopeful anticipation. That's what they asked Jesus in verse 3. And now as he said at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the interesting thing is that Jesus answered them and said to them in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Isn't that interesting, Jesus' name, what Jesus said? He said, take heed that no one deceives you. 
Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now let's stop right there for just a minute. When is this going to happen? When is the end? When is the final judgment? Well, Jesus says it starts with a deception. It starts with someone who comes to mislead, who says, I am the Christ, I bring peace, I am your deliverer, I am your savior, I am your Messiah, a very deceptive, very misleading proclamation. And it won't just be one. In verse 5, he said, many will come. Many will be saying this. There will be many saying, we, we've come to bring world peace. We've come to bring new order. Listen, our world has already been set up for this. I'm telling you, people fall for anything today because they want to believe in something real. And I'm here to tell you there are many Christs that have come on the scene and people have deceptively fallen into some of the, some of the traps and the cries of people who are saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the answer. I, I'm the one that will bring world peace. I can see the world leaders lining up and chiming in, all saying that they represent the deliverance, they represent the global peace, they represent the new day, the new dawn, the promise to deliver the world from its troubles, the promise peace. They are architects of the false peace that begins with an end-time judgment. The first thing we see is there's going to be a deception. But that deception doesn't last very long. Look at verse 6. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7. Nations will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdom. And the result, famines, earthquakes will follow. And then in verse 9, there will be tribulation, persecution, and you will be hated by all the nations on account of me. Now, what do you have here? When you begin to look at this, Jesus is saying, when is it going to happen? First, there's going to be a deception. That deception will be followed during a time that, that there will be tribulation. There will be wars. There will be famine. There will be national disasters with persecution. Even with all that's going on. Now, follow this. Look at verse 11. It says, even, even in the end, it says, then many prophets will rise up and deceive many. In other words, they're still come along. And what they will be saying, just like the prophets of old, they will come along and they will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They will, that will be their message. Peace is just around the corner, even until the final judgment. So there's going to be a deception. There's going to be those that come and say peace and peace. There are going to be many who line up to say, we are the answer. We have the answer. And many false Christs are going to show up. You come down to verse 21. And you're now in the second half of the seven-year period in what we call the Great Tribulation. The first half is called, in verse 8, the beginning of birth pains. The second half is called the Great Tribulation. And in that time, in verse 23, people are going to say, here is Christ, there he is. In verse 24, false Christ, false prophets are going to rise and show signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Then he says in verse 25, I told you in advance, if they say to you, here he is in the wilderness, don't go. Here he is in the inner room, don't believe it. Listen, for the time of the beginning of the tribulation period, the time of the end, after this is the time, listen, Matthew 24 is a picture to us here of the time of the end after the rapture of the church, it's going to start with a false peace. See, what's going to happen after the rapture of the church, we see here in Matthew 24 a picture of what's going to take place. After the church has been taken out, and Revelation 6, the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be this false peace that's going to come. And this false peace is going to come and it will crumble into war rapidly as God wreaks havoc in judgment. 
But even in the midst of that, the false prophets will still be crying out, peace, peace, even with, with all the signs that precede the final days of the Lord, which at the end of the tribulation, when the full fury of God is unleashed, even with all the signs leading up, up to that, with wars, with famines, with pestilence and plagues, and with national disasters, even with all this holocaust flying around, everybody's head everywhere, people are still going to be deceived about peace. It's such a desperate cry. And I'll tell you this, once they get a taste of it at the beginning and then it crumbles, they're going to be desperate to get it back. So after the rapture of the church, there's going to be this false peace that comes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 takes us right up to the brink of the day of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. And it says in chapter 5 and verse 3 that while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come and it will come suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child. And they won't escape. They'll all be saying peace and safety and destruction will come on the day of the Lord. Now, Matthew 24 takes you from the beginning of the time we call the tribulation right on through to the return of Christ. The first phase of it, just so you understand, is this deceptive peace by deception, uh, by deceptive would-be saviors and peace bringers, deceptive Christ, and, and that, that ends up crumbling into war. But even as the whole, whole period escalates from war to famine to natural disaster and pestilence, even through the abomination of desolations, the desolation of the temple, and even through the persecutions that come right down to the brink of the day of the Lord, when the sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven, Jesus is ready to come back and the sky goes black right up until that moment, people who thought they orchestrated, orchestrated the first peace will be crying, peace is coming back, peace is coming back, and there will be people who believe it. They'll be crying peace all through the tribulation. Every step of the tribulation, they will be crying out, peace, peace, and there will be no peace. We have a good example of this in Jeremiah's prophecy. He prophesied about the historical day of the Lord. The historical day of the Lord was a day which God was going to judge Judah in the past. Jeremiah, God's prophet, was sent to warn them, and he did it with tears. He told them about the coming horror, the coming divine judgment. And he even said, you ought to know it because there are some present signs. I mean, there are some things happening that are precursors to the actual day of the Lord, and you ought to know about them. You ought to warn the people. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 1, already evil looks down from the north, and a great destruction is there. You can see it coming. So blow the trumpet and warn the people that it's coming. And Jeremiah's day, God was getting ready to judge Judah. And Jeremiah began to prophesy and say, this judgment is coming. You have seen the signs. You have seen the precursors. You need to blow the trumpet and warn the people. You need to let the people know that judgment is coming. But in spite of that and everything that Jeremiah said about the overthrow of Judah and the overthrow of Jerusalem, despite all of the precursors, despite of the intimate judgment, despite the power right there visibly to them, they could, they, they could see it on the brink but kept believing everything would be fine. Everything will be fine. Why? We read over in chapter 6 and verse 14, because false teachers came and false prophets came and they said, peace, peace. They keep telling them peace was coming and, and that peace was going to come. Then you read in chapter 8 and verse 11 of Jeremiah. They kept saying, peace, peace, but there was no peace. And chapter 14 and verse 13 and 14, the prophets 
And what do the prophets say? Peace. You won't see the sword. You won't see the famine. I'll give you everlasting peace. They're prophesying falsely to them. There isn't going to be any there there isn't going to be any peace. There isn't going to be a day. There there's going to be the day of the Lord's fury and God's judgment. So what happened was false prophets were continuing to preach pre- peace when God was bringing judgment upon Judah. They were deceived in believing that it wasn't going to happen. That the cry of peace, that the cry of of that the sword wasn't coming. They were deceiving the people. And the people were falling for it. I'm here to tell you that we live in a day when the world does not believe that Jesus is returning. When they don't believe that there is a judgment day, that God is going to wrap all of this up one day. There will be a tribulation period. And I believe that even during that period, as we see here in Matthew That throughout, even as God is even pouring judgment out on the world, the world is still going to be crying, peace, peace, there's going to be peace. And people will be falling for it. It's a deception that will come. It's a deception that is going to change the course of the world. Now back in Matthew 24, I I want us to see a little bit of this sequence. In Matthew 24, verse 6 and 7, then the scribes, the wars, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The second thing that's going to come is war. The third thing that's going to come is famine. The fourth thing that's going to come in verse 7 will be earthquakes, which are representative of massive national destruction. First peace, then war, then famine, then death through national disaster. Now, Hold your finger there in Matthew 24 and go over to Revelation chapter 6. I want us to see the sequence in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6. You'll see the same sequence here. The first horse is a white horse and he... And, and he represents, as we will see in a moment, peace. The second horse is a red horse, and he represents what? War. He took peace from the earth, and men slaughtered each other. The next horse is a black horse, and he represents famine. The scales and the balances and the wheat and all of that, the barley. Talking about famine conditions. And then the fourth seal was broken, and a Pale green or an ashen horse represents death or national disaster or plagues that are also mentioned even earlier. So we see the parallels are exact. Peace, war, famine, death. Those are the horses. And Jesus said, peace, war, famine, national disaster, of course, implies mass of death. And Jesus said, these things... And verse 8 of Matthew 24 are merely the beginning of birth pangs, just the beginning. And then you notice in verse 9, they will deliver you into tribulation, kill you, and you'll be hated. You'll be hated by all nations on the account of my name. You say, who is he talking about here? I believe he's talking about those who are redeemed people, um, that are redeemed during the tribulation period. Because we know the church has been raptured at this time. And we know that these will be those who will become believers during the time of the tribulation. In verse 9, he's talking about those who will, who will, who will convert to Christianity or Christ. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. The people are going to be redeemed through that time and I believe they're going to be persecuted and they're going to be uh, uh, maligned. In fact, throughout the whole period of the tribulation, you will see down in verse 15 from the abomination of desolation on, woe to those who are with child. 
those who have nursing babies because of what's going to happen, there is certain, uh, uh, there's a certain, there certainly relates to Israel because the Jews are going to be persecuted as well. But it does mention the elect down in verse 24, those who would be redeemed, who also will be under persecution. So there'll be this onslaught against true believers and against Israel. You have the parallel of the first four in Matthew as the same of the first four in Revelation 6. The fifth seal in Revelation 6 is the martyrs under the altar. Who are those? And the fifth component here in Matthew 24 is delivering you to tribulation and killing you. It's the same. It's the killing in Matthew 24 of Matthew um, that yields the martyrs in Revelation 6. So the sequence is the same. Uh, Peace, war, famine, death, martyrdom. It's that way in Matthew 24, and it's also that way in Matthew 6, or Revelation 6. What triggers the persecution? What really spins it into full-blown is in verse 15, the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of by Daniel the prophet. That is when the Antichrist shows himself who he really is. And the desecration of the temple and starts to destroy the Jews along with many others who are identified with God. So the five seals take you all the way down to the sixth seal, which introduces the second coming of Christ, and the seventh seal is his coming and final judgment. So the parallels are identical if you read Revelation 6 and Matthew 24. You will see that they they are identical. In Daniel chapter 9, when we see this desolation or desecration of the temple, which was spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, in verses 24 to 27, you have a, a very important text. It says in Daniel 9, 26, after the 62 weeks and these weeks of years, you remember uh, that when you study the book of Daniel, you remember uh, that Daniel... Uh, uh, relate that Daniel, 1 Thessalonians also speaks of 62 weeks are gone and the Messiah will be cut off. 62 weeks of 70, which are uh, 62 weeks represent years. And so we see that in the book of Daniel. And now at the end of the time, we see that 69 weeks have been accomplished and there's one week that's left, one period of seven years. There were seven weeks and, and uh, that is left, and he notes in verse 25, after the seven and the 62 are completed, the Messiah will be cut off. He is killed. The city will be destroyed. The sanctuary will be destroyed. You remember what happened a little uh, later after the crucifixion of Jesus in 70 AD. There was a destruction of the temple, and there's still a week that hasn't happened yet. And so we see that. Uh, mentioned here in Daniel as the last seven years are the last week that's coming. The Antichrist, remember now, he's the leading orchestrator of this world peace that is coming. He's a false Christ. We went, you can look at him in detail in 2 Thessalonians. You can read about him, 2 Thessalonians through chapter 2. The Antichrist comes and he leads all the false Christ and false messiahs and he will bring, try to bring world peace. He'll make a covenant with Israel. And in that midst of that covenant, he'll break that covenant halfway through that covenant. And we know that halfway through the seven-year tribulation period, he will break that covenant with Israel. And in the middle of it, Uh, He will stop all the sacrificing and the grain offering that is taking place. So that tells us that Israel is going back to the original sacrifices. We know that they are already, uh, David Jones had already told me that when he was in Israel, that uh, rabbis had told him that they have everything they need in order 
to begin sacrificial worship again. That they are ready to do that. And I believe that will be going on when the Antichrist breaks uh, his treaty after three and a half years of peace and he breaks his treaty with Israel. When he breaks that treaty, he will stop all the sacrificial sacrifice will stop. He will, he will come in and desecrate the temple and he will set himself up as God himself. And we'll see more um, as we go through the book of Revelation and uh, he'll set it up and be worshipped by the whole world. And that leads the world into a massive warfare and ultimately ends up in Armageddon or ends in Armageddon. Now when we look at these two verses in chapter 6, and let's look at them real quickly. It said, I saw a lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering. Now when we begin to look at this, what are we seeing here? What are we seeing uh, when we look at this? When this white horse comes out and a rider, what is this? Well, the horse, horses were always associated with war. And if you do a, a study of horses throughout Scripture, there's a neat study on them, a theological study. We don't have time to go into that. But horses are representative of power, magnificence, majesty, and conquest. And here comes this horse and the one who sat on it, a rider. It's not necessarily a person because the red horse and the rider, the black horse and the rider, and the pale horse and the rider, as some have designated. John Phillips actually teaches and believes that this is neither a person, but these are representative of something other than a person. And so the Lamb broke one of the seven seals to remind you that the number seven, the number seven is a number of completion as we learned earlier. That's why there are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, because that's the completion of God's judgment. And when all of them are complete, the universe is Christ and the kingdom's and his kingdoms has come, and his millennial is here. And all these events also occur in the period called the tribulation, which is, uh, which is the 70th week of Daniel. And as he broke this seal, we see, we see this white horse that comes out. And as this white horse comes out, And we see the symbolism, it says, an interesting phase. It, sound, it says that uh, a crown was given to him. He is sort of a democratically crowned here. It doesn't seem that he took it. It was just given to him. And what is interesting is this is not a crown. Uh, the word here for, in the Greek for crown is stephanos, stephanos which is a crown that you win as a prize, not a diadema, a crown that's a kingly crown. As we see Christ wearing in Revelation 19, we see him as we see him. And this can't be Christ on this white horse because Christ doesn't come at the beginning. He comes at the end. It can't be Christ. He doesn't carry a bow. He carries a sword. Some say it's the Antichrist. And so we believe that this is the Antichrist. And certainly the Antichrist is the main person of peace. But the horse and the rider represents, uh, represents the peace. He's not alone. There are many Antichrists, many, fal many false Christs, and many imposters. Uh, and this horse and rider represent false peace headed up. By the Antichrist. You say, well, how do you know this represents false peace? Well, the fact is he has a bow. And that's a symbol of a warrior. But if you have a bow, 
you also need something else. What do you need? You need an arrow. And he doesn't have any. The absence of an arrow speaks of a bloodless victory, a worldwide peace brought by this covenant maker and his cohorts in a bloodless way. In other words, a crown was given to him as sort as a reward or to honor him by the world and was elevated and given a place of prominence. The peace has been the peace had been made king of the world. Everything is subservient to peace. Since the architect of peace is primarily the Antichrist, everything is subservient to him. He is rewarded with a crown, which is the reward uh, uh, of, of which is a reward and not the crown that a king wears that belongs only to Christ Jesus. He is the rightful king. He is a true peace, prince of peace. He is the one who will truly be crowned. And this is the deception that Jesus talked about when he said many will be misled in this age. The peace, the misleading, the deceptive false peace orchestrated by a worldwide false Messiah uh, led by the Antichrist. And of course, once this peace is established, the Antichrist rises to the top. And we see, and I want to close with this tonight in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, He will come, and talking of the Antichrist, He will come with power and signs and false wonders and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish. And this is what's interesting. The Bible says that as he performs these things, God will send a deluding influence. Uh, will, uh, God will send a delusion and they will be deceived and God will send a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they may be judged. So Antichrist, when he comes on the scene... He's going to not only bring with him, there's going to be a deceptive peace, but people will be drawn to him. There'll be a powerful delusion that will deceive the world into believing that he is the answer to the world. I thought about this today. I thought, what in the world's going to happen when the rapture of the church comes and the church is out of here and the world is left to itself? I'm telling you, we're already hated, and it's ratcheting up. Believe me, church, it's ratcheting up. I'm telling you, the world is already beginning to turn on everything that is righteous, everything that is holy, everything that is pure, anything that represents righteousness, uh, the world is turning on, and now we're becoming every type of name that there is. There is an attack. I got a pastor friend that I was talking to today on the phone. And he was in D.C. and he held a rally. Uh, uh, and it was called Save America. And he held the rally about righteousness and turning back to God. And he had, he had taken a picture with, y'all see the wolf man that was in the Capitol that was at the speaker's desk and had all the fur on and he had the big the big whatever headdress on and whatever it was. Well, we've seen that guy. I saw that guy in, 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 uh, in CHOP. I, I've seen him everywhere. And this pastor had taken a picture with him at another place. And it was found on his Facebook page. And so hate groups have begun to show that picture everywhere as though he was supporting our part of this guy's life. Just this week, He's received 1,500 threats against his church, against his family. And they have come after him and said they're going to find him. They're going to burn down his church. They're going to, they're going to bring uh, destruction upon his life. And he's like, hey, man, this is for real. These people want to hurt you. They want to kill you. And I'm telling you, we're headed that way. I'm telling you, all you have to do is begin to speak on truth and righteousness, even from the pulpit. And I'm telling you, uh, all you got to do is post something about righteousness. 
Go ahead and post something on Facebook about marriage and marriage between one man and one woman. And post something about moral living. You will be attacked immediately by people. I'm telling you, I know. (laughs) I know personally. Why? What's happening? I'm telling you, there is a there is a delusion that this world is falling into, and it's an antichrist spirit. And the world is being set up to what? They're being set up to be deceived and drawn away from the truth under the guise of unity. I mean, what are we hearing? Be unity, kumbaya, love everybody. Well, we are supposed to love everybody. But I'm here to tell you the church is here to deliver and to set free and to preach Christ who frees us from our sins. And so we're living in a difficult day. I'm telling you, I believe what's coming is that, and and talking to another pastor this week, he really believes that, that the government is going to produce legislation that's going to come out against certain topics of preaching and certain topics being preached in the pulpit. That hate speech will begin to be called out. That if I get up and talk about morality in a certain way, that it's going to be considered hate speech and you can be charged. I'm telling you, it's going to come. And I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to drive the church to its knees. And it's going to drive the church to the streets and into the highways and byways where we should be preaching the gospel. Right? But I'm telling you, the day is coming when an antichrist spirit is going to come after the church and it's going to begin to happen. But I'm here to tell you that we have to remain strong and we have to be, have a life of prayer. We have to have a life that's dedicated to God. Are you willing The question is, are you willing to stand? Are you willing to stand in the day? When we read Matthew 24, I've told family members of mine and family, I said, hey, if Jesus comes back and I'm out of here, read Matthew 24 because you'll know what's coming. Just begin to read. Read the Scripture. Because I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, there are going to be some that are left behind. And there's going to be a strong delusion that comes. And we're living in a day when that strong delusion is already working in the world. And everybody thinks we're headed to world peace. And we are. But it'll be a false peace. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. Pastor Adam. Thank God for His redemption. Thank God for Him setting us free. Hallelujah. God is good. Glory to God. There's going to be a judgment poured out on the world. It's going to be set up by a false peace. And in the seven seals, God is going to break each seal of judgment upon the earth. And as He breaks the seal, all He's doing is opening the title deed of the earth. It's part of His redeeming the earth. And when He returns and comes back and redeems the earth, the Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away. But God's word shall live forever. This whole world's going to pass away. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to end. Stand with me if you would tonight. We need to be preaching the coming of the Lord. We need to be preaching His return. We need to be preaching salvation. We need to be reading the book of Revelation and studying it. And studying the outpouring. The outpouring of God's judgment is the reality that is coming.
I don't know about you, but I've been very grieved about our nation and the things that have been happening in our nation this week. I'm just telling you, I've just been almost to the point, just so grieved in my spirit that I can't believe that we've come to a place like this where everything is out of spite and evil and get back and return. I'm telling you, that's the spirit of Antichrist that is being loosed out into this earth. And as we see the politicians poured out on one another, I'm telling you, it's going to be poured out into the streets. It's going to be poured out on people. Listen, there's going to be a day if you don't line up, you're next. They're coming after you. They're coming after us. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the next few years, I'm not going to be surprised at what they try to do. What they try to do to the church. Because if you stand for any kind of righteousness, you, you are are up for attack just like that. And they're going to come, they're going to try to bring, I'm telling you, it is an antichrist spirit. So we have to be ready. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.